0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Below the Align podcast presented by Wicked Mix Holiday and Winter Editions. If you're looking for a sneaky good snack to use as a stocking stuffer, venture on over to Amazon, Walmart.com, or MoonlightMixes.com to get your holiday and winter special editions of Wicked Mix today. They won't be here for much longer, so hurry up. Get your holiday and winter editions of Wicked Mix as the holiday season approaches. A couple weeks ago, we talked to Pit Report steve post from mrn and today on the horn with me i have one of his colleagues alex hayden from mrn sir how are you doing
1: hey doing well samuel thanks for having me on
0: absolutely always great to talk to people in the industry that are out there each and every week during the season my first question for you how did your career start were you always involved in racing or was it just kind of an acquired taste for you
1: um that's kind of a twofold answer, I guess. I, I, I've always kind of grown up around racing. Originally from Muncie, Indiana, just outside of Indianapolis, and my dad uh, was a newspaper photographer, so he was always credentialed children working races, whether it's the Indy 500, short tracks, Michigan International. It didn't matter. So I grew up around racing. Um, so that that was something that uh, I always had a, a passion for. As a great fan of all forms of motorsports. But as far as getting involved and working in the sport, it was just dumb luck. Uh, I think that's the best way to attribute it to. I had never worked in any kind of radio. I'd never worked in any kind of play-by-play position or announcing position, nothing like that. And I answered uh, an ad that they were auditioning for public address announcers at a little short track in Eastern North Carolina called Wayne County Speedway which is no longer here, sadly. But uh, I auditioned one of 14 guys to audition, and they gave it to me. Um, And midway through that first year, which was all the way back in 1996, uh, midway through that first year, the promoter of the racetrack put a recorder in the back of the broadcast PA booth, and I didn't know it. And uh, she recorded me and sent the tape to MRN, said, you got to hear this guy. And then uh, I guess a couple, three months later, I got the call from MRN, got auditioned, and so in the span of 10 months, never doing any kind of play-by-play, never doing any kind of broadcasting, let alone national broadcasting, uh, I went from a couple of short tracks to MRN uh, and went MRN 1997 in 10 months, and that's where I've been ever since.
0: It's a story that not many people have of how they got to where they got their boss secretly recording them and sending it off to a national syndicate and saying, Hey, you know, hear this guy real quick. I've, I've never heard that before. I've heard interesting stories from drivers and broadcasters and all types of people in the industry on how they got to where they are. But I think your story is a first I've never heard of somebody's boss. Just kind of secretly recording them, but it worked out.
1: It worked out wonderfully that the promoter of that track. Her name was Teresa Richardson. Uh, I just talked to her maybe a month or so ago. We do stay in touch, and I thank her every time I get a chance. Uh, I, I thanked her big when I first signed with MRN and, and sent her an MRN shirt and a microphone and that type of thing just for, for taking the chance on me. But, you know, it, it, it go a little deeper than that. When I first got approached by MRN, John McMullen was the president and executive producer of the network, Of course, we had to go through an interview-type process just to get a a background. I had no background. I had just a summer previously uh, in 96 of calling some short track races on PA. So, of course, he asked me what my radio background was, and he asked me uh, that type uh, of interview-type questions, and I lied. I lied through my teeth about him. Told him I worked at W such-and-such-and-such-and-such in North Carolina and did sports there and did some high school football and things like that just lying because i thought man I, i better come up with something or he's just gonna hang up on me uh so yeah it was uh i guess i fooled everybody enough to get the chance and and obviously you have to perform so uh i get through the interview process get the audition they liked what they heard and we went forward
0: Yeah, I I think it worked out all right. You know, I I think those lies, uh, I think you made up for and with now nearly three decades of experience calling NASCAR races. Um, Did you have any role models or mentors in broadcasting or especially since you grew up around Indianapolis in racing? Were there any guys that that stood out to you, either drivers or broadcasters, that you just said, I want to be like them when I grow up?
1: Yeah, obviously growing up around motorsports, I wanted to be a race car driver. Uh, my heroes, Gordon Johncock and Rick Mears, IndyCar guys. Uh, those are my heroes. And, and don't get me wrong. We went to Michigan International for uh, a couple of races every summer, and I got to see NASCAR racing and uh, Richard Petty and Bobby Allison and, and that whole era there in the in the 70s and into the early 80s. Um, so, yeah, I, I was exposed to all of it. But I also listened to broadcasters, and I didn't know it at the time as a kid that this is something I would want to do, let alone end up doing. But I distinctly remember listening to, to MRN and uh, Barney Hall and, and Eli Gold and all those guys, which I became very good friends with. Uh, obviously, we lost Barney a few years ago, but Eli and I are still very good friends. He's still the voice of the Alabama Crimson Tide football team. And uh, I, I got to know these guys personally and became true friends with them. Um, outside of motorsports, I mean, you could throw Bob Jenkins, Paul Page absolutely in that mix as well uh, from the IMS radio network. Um, Tom Carnegie is also one that I just looked up to. He was the PA voice for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, that really deep, booming voice. It, it It etched in my mind, and it still is. Um, something I'll never have is a big, deep, booming voice like that. But um Marty brennaman and and Joe Nuxall with the Cincinnati Reds Radio network. Uh, as a kid, I'd listen to the radio on school nights, listening to the Reds play, and get an idea just what's going on at Riverfront Stadium back in those days and the way those two guys described the action. So all of those would be, I guess, major, major influences.
0: Well, I like that you mentioned Barney Hall, because when I talked to Steve Post, Barney was had a major impact on Steve, and Steve said he was so shocked when they put him on an airplane with Barney Hall, and he was just kind of starstruck sitting there, and and you mentioned Eli Gold, who has unfortunately called way too many touchdowns for Alabama against my beloved Arkansas Razorbacks, but I'll let it slide. You know, he, he's a legend, I guess. I'll let him keep doing that, but uh, just so many greats have come through NASCAR broadcasting, come through MRN um and it's great to see you guys still carrying on that tradition and it's awesome that so many of them that worked there mentored the current crop of guys that you have and and you guys are mentoring the next generation so it's just it's a generational thing um that I think is proven to be so good for the longevity of uh, that all you guys have there what was working your first race like for MRN were were you just terrified were you excited were you a combination of both this what was running through the mind of a young Alex Hayden when he had that microphone with the MRN mic flag on it for the first time
1: i thought what have i gotten myself into Um, because I knew of MRN and I knew Eli and Barney and all these guys. So, um, my audition was a truck series race at, at Walt Disney world speedway, which obviously that track is no longer there. So I auditioned with Alan Bestwick and Joe Moore and Fred Armstrong and these guys, I'm thinking, oh my gosh. So the audition process is like a broadcast. You just don't go out over the airwaves. You have the same equipment on you do the same thing so i was terrified okay well that's in january i get invited to go ahead and come down to speed weeks in daytona a couple of weeks later and my first action you can say is in those days we did the public address for all the races and it was a two weeks worth with the arca series and the goodies dash series and everything i rock. So I worked the backstretch for MRN for the IROC and the goodies dash series and the ARCA races at Daytona, which those were just over PA, same MRN format, same way we did it, but it was just over PA. So the step gets a little gradual. And then the next weekend at Rockingham was my first actual on air broadcast around the country. Uh, And I was terrified. I was working the backstretch in turns three and four as a turn announcer. And I walked out of our truck in the infield you have to walk across the infield, across the racetrack, out to the, the big billboard out in turn number three. First of all, I didn't even know where it was. Uh, so I, I was terrified on doing that. I was afraid to walk across the racetrack cause I thought I'd get in trouble with the sport and with NASCAR, but then I, I'm thinking to myself, here we go. I put the wireless gear on, start walking out of the truck and I don't get 15 steps away from the truck. And I hear this voice from behind go, hey, new guy. And I turned around and it was Jim Phillips, who at the time was our lead pit reporter. Jim Phillips, Winston Kelly and Marty Snyder, who's now with NBC. Uh, Winston Kelly is the executive director of the NASCAR Hall of Fame now. But those were the three pit reporters. And Jim Phillips was a former over-the-wall crew member for L.D. Ottinger in the old uh, Bush series. And Jim was just this big guy with a deep voice. And he screams at me, hey, new guy. And I turned around, I was like, oh my gosh, what would I do? Did I forget something. He goes, don't mess this up. And he just turned around and walked to pit road and I'm just frozen. I was 15 steps away from the truck. I'm already terrified that I don't even know where I'm going or what I'm doing, my first ever on-air broadcast. And I got Jim Phillips telling me not to screw this whole thing up. So it was just a pile of nerves. I made my way across the track, made my way on the small little walkway that that's just a dirt path up against the wall to my turn position, climb up this big billboard and stand there. And I think, oh, my gosh, look at this view I've got. I I, on my wireless gear, I push my button with our boom microphone and push the button to talk, check in, let our engineers and my producer know I'm there and I'm in position. And then I had about an hour before we went on the air and I just kind of stood there and took it all in. So I was terrified uh, of that first broadcast, but and I made mistakes. Don't get me wrong. And and I still have a copy of that first broadcast as well. I don't listen to it anymore. I don't want to. Uh, I listened to it quite a bit in my early days with with the network to try to learn from my mistakes. And boy, it was mistake filled.
0: Well, you know, I, I think it's okay. I'm not sure anybody's ever gone on TV or radio the first time ever and and pitched a perfect game. If they have, I want to meet them and shake their hand because that seems yeah. like an impressive accomplishment. Um, but, I, I mean, I can't imagine the nerves for the first time going on air to a national audience because, like you said, you've been working on a small-town short track and then done PA at Daytona. And then your your audition at, at Walt Disney World was just, you know, not on air and then you say, okay, we're going to put you, you know, on a, on a radio station that has affiliates across the entire country. If they wanted to, every single person in this country could hear you.
1: Yeah.
0: I'd just be terrified. I I wouldn't be able to speak. I don't think, and I don't blame you for that at all.
1: And like I say, it was only, and that was what, February of 97. I didn't even start short track announcing until April of ninety six. So it was only 10 months before that I'd ever even done anything remotely close to this. So it was a blur. It was it was a whirlwind, but I wouldn't trade it for anything.
0: I imagine. I mean, life comes at you fast, but sometimes it it throws you a curveball and you're able to hit it. And and you hit this one out of the park landing with MRN. you have a favorite track? to visit we don't go to rockingham anymore i'd be interested to know if it was still on the schedule if thad take the cake just for nostalgia's sake but is there a favorite track that you go to where the fans are just better the racing's better the food's better Is, is there one track that really stands out to you
1: first of all about rockingham don't be surprised we may be back at rockingham before you know it um so that all being said i can't wait if we do go back to rockingham that would be outstanding just for the memories of it all Uh, And where I live now in Goldsboro, North Carolina, is only a two hour drive from Rockingham. So it's that would be a home game. Um, But right now on the schedule, there's so many great places we go to. It's hard to pinpoint just one favorite. You know, it's like saying, who's your favorite grandchild? Uh, Obviously, I love going to Daytona. It's the world center of racing. It is the Mecca. So when, when you step foot on that property, it is amazing. Uh, I've had the privilege of calling a sports car race at, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And then last year, I got a chance with the IMS Radio Network. Uh, Mark James, who's the anchor, is a good friend of mine. Uh, he invited me up to call practice for the Indy 500. That was unbelievable dream uh, to, to call Indy cars on the Oval at Indy. Um, that was spectacular on the IMS Radio Network. That place just has a soul about it at Indianapolis. Um, I love Martinsville Speedway. It is so old. You can sense the history when you're there around the racetrack and you can see the entire track from the lowest level to the highest level. It's a great place. But, you know, when you, when you really stop and think about it, we get to do a lot of great things. Phoenix Raceway in the desert with the mountains and the cactus, uh, to the streets of Chicago, one of the coolest things, though, that I've gotten to do, and we'll get to do it again coming up the first weekend of February in 24, is to go to the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum for the Bushlight Clash to, to race stock cars in a football stadium. And it's not just a football stadium. That's where they've held Super Bowls. That's where they've held two Olympic Games. And here in, what, another four, eight years, whatever it is, we're going to have another Olympic Games there. The history of the LA Coliseum is unbelievable. So to walk into the USC Trojan home radio booth to set up and call a NASCAR race and to get to to see race cars going around basically this tiny little bowl down there, that is something I'll never forget and I can't wait to do it again
0: well it's a return to to nascar's roots short track racing and even stadium racing they did that at soldier field once i think in the 50s and a return to your roots as well calling it short track races um my last question for you and i'm sure the coliseum is certainly near the top of this list but what is your favorite memory so far out of the 27 or so years you've been working with mrn what is your favorite memory that tops all of them
1: wow uh, there are so many of those as well obviously the very first time we saw cars come through the tunnel at the Coliseum on the, to the makeshift quarter mile track. That was something I'll never forget because the, the place was jam packed and people just lost their minds. Um, I, I think the 2011 Daytona 500 stands out for me uh, as a special memory because at the time I was working pit road with MRN and that's when Trevor Bain won the Daytona 500 for the legendary Wood Brothers team. And as, as the three pit reporters, MRN tradition is whoever wins the race and whatever pit reporter has the winning pit, you get the, the interview, you try to get the winning crew chief, but in this case, Donnie Wingo, who was the crew chief was getting mobbed and they were in a, basically a big rugby scrum celebrating. And I just happened to look over and, and at the time, Barney and Joe, they threw it to me. Yeah, I was live. It's what we call tap dancing in the business Well, you got to talk. Uh, and feel the time. And I'm looking, looking, who can I talk to here? It's the Daytona 500. I got to get somebody. And I glance over and sitting on the pit wall is NASCAR Hall of Famer Leonard Wood, the original, one of the original Wood brothers. And he was just sitting on the wall, just smiling. And I look over at him and I knew him fairly well at the time, know him extremely well now. But back in 2011, we had a really good relationship as well. And, And I looked over at him and I'm on the air with my microphone talking and I just kind of point at the mic flag and he waves me over. He didn't stand up. So I walk over and just sit down on the pit wall. This is the Daytona 500. There's 150,000 people going nuts. Trevor Baines won the race. His crews just going nuts all over the place. And it's like there was nobody else in the world. I was sitting on the wall with Leonard Wood with our back to the start, finish line, looking at the pit box. And we just did the winning interview sitting right there to talk to leonard wood Uh, that was unbelievable experience and that's one i'll never forget
0: well i can't imagine what it was like for him to see a team and at that point a team that had struggled a bit in recent years to just get a flash of return to glory and that's what it was in that moment was a, a young driver a young phenom at the time and Winning with a team that was as old as the sport itself as storied as the sport itself I can't imagine the emotions of him and then getting to let it all out with you on the air That must have been nearly as special of a moment for him as it was for yourself Um, But Daytona always produces those sorts of memories and, and that's why I'm sure you love what you do and and that's why we love Daytona obviously, but also just the sport in general, you know You don't get stories like the wood brothers or winning the Daytona 500 in every single sport. And that's why I think NASCAR kind of stands out because the history is just, it goes deeper than, than most of us can ever imagine. Um, But thank you so much for joining us today. Alex Hayden, part of MRN, the voice of NASCAR. You can catch them when they uh, get going here and well, I'll call it two months till the Daytona 500, but the clash at the Coliseum first, the season we have one of the shortest off seasons in pro sports. I feel we're kind of spoiled in that regard, but it feels like a year. That we're off i mean it's it seems like much longer than it actually is um and i'm sure it does for you too but um i can't wait till you guys are are back um and thank you so much for joining us
1: i appreciate it yeah happy holidays to you and everybody who's watching and i i look forward to, to 2024 it's going to be a great nascar season in the meantime uh while i get a, a little bit of downtime i'll enjoy it but i also do college basketball so my schedule is fairly full here at the end of December and in the early part of January as well. Uh, that's the key. Always work because you can always get better.
0: That's true. Wise words to live by, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. Can't wait for the next NASCAR season. You can hear it all on MRN.